Now, here in chapter 14, you probably picked it up, we, the prophecy takes us right to the end, um, the end of history, the end of the world, how everything turns out, the final chapter in life, the end of your story, my story, and you can see it there in verse 9. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. So think of the stories that you love. Um, remember how they end, and perhaps it's just me, but, and they all lived happily ever after. Now, perhaps that sounds a little bit too saccharine sweet for a Sunday with one hour's less sleep. Um, perhaps it's ju- that's just too hard to believe given everything we've been through the past year or so. But just for a moment, let it be true. A happily ever after, everything turning out for the best. Good triumphing over evil. Justice being done. Elizabeth marrying Darcy. The defeat of the Galactic Empire. Return to the Shire. Just imagine for a moment if that happily ever after could be yours for sure. Never taken from you. Every story has an ending. Including yours. How can we make sure it is a good one for us and not a bad one? That's what this final chapter of Zechariah is all about. Four parts to it. First, in verses 1 to 5, we see the Lord is coming back for his people. He is coming back. Verse 1, a day of the Lord is coming. Or in the original Hebrew, a day is coming of the Lord. This is the one coming, the Lord Almighty. And he's coming back, verse 5, for his people. Then the Lord, my God, will come for all who call him Lord, for all who have a personal relationship with him and say, this is my God. He's coming back for you. And in between verses 1 to 5, we see the final victory God will win for his people. Even when everything seems lost, verse 1 when your possessions will be plundered and divided up within your very walls, when unspeakable evil comes upon you, in verse 2, the city captured, the house ransacked, the women raped. This is a picture here of the horrors of war, the horrors of military conflict. And there's a picture of the, the evil and the persecution that will come upon the church between Jesus' first and second coming. But did you see in verse 3 that word then? Then, verse 3, the Lord will go out and fight against the nations. This military language again. As he fights on a day of battle, on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south, and you will flee by my mountain valley. Now we call this series Gospel in Graffiti because of the striking, powerful imagery that is given to the prophet Zechariah. And here we've got something out of a Marvel Avengers movie with like mountains like splitting in half and one going north and one going south and being moved around as simply as you and I move Lego blocks. And it shows 
just how easy it is for the Lord Almighty to deal with all sin, all evil, all suffering, just like that. The moment he comes back, the moment he returns, and then to all suffering and then to all persecution, vindication, and suffering over at last, a happily ever after for his people. Now look, as I say that, I know many of you are suffering right now. Some of you are suffering from long-standing, severe physical pain. And some of you from the loss of loved ones over these past 12 months, some of you from past traumas. And you're probably wondering, like, if, is this suffering ever going to come to an end? I know some of you are pretty depressed right now, doom scrolling through all these reports of abuse in the church we were hearing about earlier and wondering to yourself, can any good come from this? I know some of you are feeling the pressure now simply for being a follower of Jesus Christ and wanting to confess his name and, and do what he says is right and go his way and you're feeling it from all sides and you're thinking, is there gonna be any release, any easing up of this pressure? And God is saying a day is coming, a day is certainly coming when all these battles you are facing right now will come to an end. And there will be an end to suffering and evil will be eradicated and justing will be done and the suffering will be over for you. And so you can say to yourself right now, the Lord, my God, will come. But you say, Mark, how can I be sure? I mean, that sounds so good. I want to believe it. These verses were written thousands of years ago. How can I trust them today? Listen to these words from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. When they sung a hymn, the disciples went out to the Mount of Olives. Notice the location. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, quote from Zechariah, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered, but after I have risen from the dead, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. You see, the Lord our God has already stood once on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And the Lord our God has already won an amazing victory over sin and death, even when everything seems lost and unspeakable evil is done to him and he rises from the dead. And how does the Gospel of Matthew describe his resurrection just a chapter later? The earth shaking, rocks, mountains splitting, and the tombs opening There is absolutely nothing, not our sin, not death, not the devil, absolutely nothing that can stop Jesus Christ coming back, standing again on Mount Olives and bringing in a final victory for his people. The Lord, your God, will come. Secondly, in verses 6 to 11, we see the happily ever after the Lord will bring his people 
Three parts to it, three images, very rich across the Bible narrative. First, the image of light, verse 6. On that day, there will neither be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord, with no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. So this is future, this final day, and there's just light all the time. What is the significance of light? You may know from John's Gospel, Jesus describes himself as the light of the world. And in the final book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, we get this description of the new city, a city that does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb himself is its light. And so in the whole sort of Bible story, this is a picture of God dwelling again amidst his people. Relationship with God fully restored. He is their light. They don't need any other light. One day, we will see God face to face. We will meet our maker. The one true relationship from which all other human relationships flow. On that day, there'll be no more breakups, no more relational hurts, just true, everlasting love. The second rich image we are given here of heaven, the new creation, is that of living water, verse 8. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it west of the Mediterranean, both in summer and in winter. You only have to read the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. You can't help but think of the Garden of Eden with the river of living water flowing through it and God walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve and them having the whole world to explore and enjoy when everything was good, very good, there was nothing wrong, there was no sin. And the time is coming when it will be like that again, but it will be perfect because there'll be no chance for humanity to fall again. One of my children is really struggling to get their head um, around the idea of eternity. And if heaven goes on forever, Daddy, why is that going to turn out being really, really boring? Do you ever think that? Have you ever thought that? I've certainly thought it at times. Consider this. Consider the closest relationship you have. A parent, a friend, a spouse, someone you truly love. And no matter how long you've known that person, is it not true that still every day you're learning new things about them and what makes them tick and what they're like? Learning new little things, no matter how many years you've been with them. How long do you think it's going to take to fully get to know the Lord Jesus Christ who is infinitely glorious, infinitely beautiful, infinitely compelling in every way. It will take an eternity to get to know him. Every day in heaven will be perfect. And yet every new day will be a deepening and enriching of that experience with him. 
Not just that, think of how much human progress has been made in this world just in the past hundred years through technological advances. And yet the more we advance, more seems to open up to us and things just getting faster and speak. Can you imagine what it's gonna be like in a perfectly renewed universe, billions of light, whatever it is in dimension for humanity to explore and enjoy and develop with God every day, more and more, heaven will never, ever be boring. Not for a millisecond. This really is a perfect relationship with God, his people in a perfectly renewed world. The third picture, image, we are given here is of a secure city. Verses 10 to 11, but let me focus in on verse 11. It will be inhabited, this city. Never again will it be destroyed. Jerusalem will be secure. You can never lose this relationship with God. You can never have this perfect new world taken from you. It is absolutely secure. You'll be a part of it forever. I read this week that hundreds of thousands of women and have downloaded safety apps on their phones in the wake of Sarah Everard's death. And, and talking to a few of you this past week, it has been sobering to hear of you know, your own experience of, of being catcalled, of being followed, um, of just feeling pretty unsafe when you're walking around, particularly um, at night. Horrible, that experience, that feeling of uns being unsafe, vulnerable, unprotected. That fear of something happening to you, something being taken from you, being mugged, being kidnapped, something worse. Awful. God is promising a day when you will never have that feeling again. You will never feel unsafe. You will never think, oh, this wonderful thing can come to an end. Never. Every day, this deeper experience of perfection with the Lord, each other, this world. No more fear, a truly happy ending for all of God's people. Now, having said that, we do need to also reckon with verses 12 to 15. And the fact that the Lord, when he comes back, will also judge his enemies. Now, I've got to admit, I'd rather skip over verses 12 to 15. I mean, did you pick these up and it was read out? These are hard-hitting verses. They are not easy to preach. These verses speak of hell, of hell, and I think it's pretty hard to, to truly take in the full force of what they're saying without getting pretty emotional about it at the same time. Let me just say that I'm sorry if you've ever heard Christians speak to you about hell in, in a smug way or in a gleeful way, anything like that. The Bible never treats it in a smug way, always in a sobering way, always as a loving warning. So please would you hear it in that way, even if I don't do justice to the, to the tone of it. Verse 12, this is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet, their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. Now there are many images that the Bible uses to describe hell, fire, darkness, separation. 
It doesn't literally mean that there will be flames. These are pictures. But the fact that they are pictures, you can imagine that the reality is a lot, lot worse. And here, the image we are given in verse 12 of Zechariah is one of rotting. Three times that word rot is used. So think of the vegetable that gets forgotten about at the bottom of the fridge and it slowly just rots away into this putrid, decomposed mess. Or you think of not taking the bins out for a while and then you finally do and like the smell as you like, and it's thrown out. That is the picture we are given here of what will happen to all who set themselves up against Jesus and against his church. Very sobering picture. Now, let me, be, let me say straight away that the offer of forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ is open to all, right? Whoever you are, whatever you have done. Jesus Christ came, died on a cross, took on the rottenness of sin so we could be purified, made right with God. Jesus is the savior we all need. He has come for you to stop the rotting process that has already begun. Got some new glasses this week. The optician told me that my eyes are already decaying, I suppose. <laughs> Not literally rotting in the sockets yet, but we all, we all know that's gonna come to us. Getting old, getting gray, getting thin, decaying rotting physically and spiritually inside. There is only one person who can stop this rotting process caused by our sin. So if you have not already done so, please come to Jesus Christ. Receive his forgiveness. Drink from the rivers of living water. He is a wonderful saviour. Because if you don't, well, let me quote from C.S. Lewis, describing a character called Weston in his science fiction novel, Perilandra. The forces which had begun, perhaps years ago, to eat away his humanity had now completed their work. The intoxicated will which had been slowly poisoning the intelligence and the affection had now at last poisoned itself and the whole psychic organism had fallen to pieces. Only a ghost was left, an everlasting unrest, a crumbling, a ruin, an odour of decay. Now, let me repeat, I take no pleasure in preaching those verses. But we can't ignore them. God, is, God has included them as a warning to us, and we need to hear them. So, where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us in verses 16 to 21, the fourth and final thing to see, worship the king in everything. Verse 16, then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. 
If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. And the Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations. We said at the start that every story has an ending, including yours or mine, and how do we make sure that ours is a good one and not a bad one? And here is the answer. Worship the king. Worship the one who can forgive your sin, who is pleased to do so. Worship the one who has defeated death. Worship the one who built this universe and one day will rebuild this universe. Worship the one that you and I were made for. Now, what does it mean to worship? We can tend to think of that as an exclusively religious word, but to, to worship something is, it just means to be devoted to something. You know the way people say, oh, he worships Arsenal. She worships her work. They don't half worship their children, do they? We all worship. We're all devoted to something. Can I ask, what are you most devoted to? A person, a relationship, your looks, a football team, your bank balance, your career, peace and quiet, a comfortable life, your family, your own legacy. What gets you most excited? What gets you up in the morning? Where does your mind go in moments of quiet? And if it is any of these things, be careful. If this is a thing you are most devoted to, these things won't last. They are not secure. They will be taken from you. They will rot and they will decay. There is only one thing, one person who lasts forever. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, who is alive forevermore. He is the one we need to be most devoted to if we want this happily ever after. But Mark, this is all just way off in the far distant future. What about the here and now of my life right now? People often say to us, our Christians are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Isn't that not what's going on here? Not at all. Look at how Zechariah finishes in verses 20 to 21. On that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, and the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty. Everything devoted to the Lord, everything holy, everything sacred, even the dirtiest and pathetic little pot. God cares about it all. Everything, all of life matters to him. If you really get this, it will shape and drive everything in the here and now. Just let's flip it round for the moment. If there is no God, if there is no objective standard, how can you know for sure how to work for a better world? How can you know for sure that working for compassion and justice are actually good things? If we are here merely by all these evolutionary processes where the strong have victory over the weak, how can you know that it really is a good thing 
to look out and protect the vulnerable. You need an objective standard to know how to live rightly, to make a difference, to change the world for good, and we have our standard. The one true Lord and King over the whole universe and his holiness. So worship Jesus Christ in everything. All of life. There is not one area of your life that he is not concerned about. Your friendships, your family, your work, your hobbies, your fight for justice, your downtime, fill it with his holiness, his love, his grace, his mercy, his truth, his goodness. Worship the king in everything. And you really will live happily ever after. Well, let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, thanks so much for this final chapter in Zechariah. Thank you for this glorious future day when your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will come back for all his people, bring in this happily ever after, bring this great victory in. We long to see you face to face. Please help us to hear this warning too. And so move our hearts to worship you now, today, in everything. Continue to transform our lives by the power of your spirit we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.